he goes and gets wings and throws them on the board. Yeah, listen, man, this guy's breaking <laughs> barriers down. You're listening to Leafs Lunch with Julia Tusheri and Michael DeStefano on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. Yeah, you guys talk to the players. I'm sure that you ask them the same questions. It's I can't do the work for them. Find it to be more of an effort situation or an execution situation. Effort. Yeah, competitiveness. What did you say to them in the second intermission? They, they got to make a decision how you know how important it is to them. That's that's really it. On top of it. On top. Because what else can Sheldon Keefe really do? He can't do the work for him, uh, for them, like they, like he alluded to in that clip, and and that is just the case. So, he was salty. Sheldon? Like he was really, yeah. Sheldon was really, really salty after after that loss. The other well, that day. had to be so annoying for him. Like God, what else? I I I don't know. I we talked about it with MJ a little bit, but we I, I so after that game on Saturday, I was really annoyed by it, and since I've. I've marinated on it, and I got my a peaceful Sunday, and I eventually found the reason and, and thought, you know, sometimes teams lose to bad teams. Good teams lose to bad teams. It's, it's NHL. There's lots of parity, blah, blah, blah. But but with Tampa so hot, Tampa, I guess, technically ahead of you right now, AB, by points percentage. Yep. Like, you can't have your foot off the gas. It just doesn't we, – we've heard about this evolution of maturity. Like, sometimes we think they have it. Sometimes we think they don't. And, and ultimately, they're, they're not going to prove it to us either way until April, are they? Because I think at some points during this year, we think to ourselves, oh, the evolution of maturity. We're seeing it. And then sometimes we really just don't. And they're not going to win every game against every bad team. It just doesn't happen. We see Tampa leads to bad teams sometimes. We see – Colorado lose a bad team sometimes. Like we we see it happen, but it is a it, it is a trend with this you know what team. It, you know what it is for me though. It's 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 how they lost that game. Like and right. Sheldon Keith, that that's why he was so upset. Like he's flat out said, you know, it wasn't execution. It was effort. There was just no effort. They lost too many battles. And go look at all those goals on on Joseph Wall. Like outside yeah. of the, uh, I mean the the last one there that we talked about already, the Ken Johnson tip one, or even that like. How, box him out. Don't allow Johnson to be that close. You know, have the inside track, I guess, when you're when uh, when, when he's so close to the net, right? Like, don't allow him into the paint like that. So there's another one where it's like they were just outworked, and especially in front of the net. Look at the goal. There's a reason why Pierre Engvall ended up getting um, uh, getting sad for the back half of the second period, right? There yeah. was loose puck in front of the net, and he didn't a didn't clear the puck, and b didn't clear it as man. And even you want to look at the one goal where you could somewhat blame Joseph Wall on, probably would have rathered him cover up the puck, right? The puck was loose in front. He was trying to get it, trying to get it, and it was loose for a little bit too long, and eventually the, the Blue Jackets kind of banging into the back of the net. I mean, if you're a defenseman there, you need to do one of two things. You either clear the puck or tie up your man's stick so he can't get it and allow your goaltender to find the puck. They didn't, they didn't help Joseph Wall at all in that game. Like, that was, he yeah. allowed four goals, but like, that wasn't on him. That was just poor play, and that was effort. There was just a lack of focus and a lack of effort, more so in the second period mainly. Like, that was one of the, the, the worst periods that they played in a very long time, right? So, I understand why Sheldon Keefe is, is upset and why he just looks at this team and it's like, Look, we're going to lose to some teams because they're going to beat us, and if they go out and they perform better or we get goalie, like, it's going to happen. But you're not going to be happy losing in the way that they did Saturday night where they didn't lose. They just gave away the game. 
No, exactly. When you're up on a team like Columbus, you just got to be able to uh, not put it in neutral, but you, you have to be able to just decide, even if it's a night where you're not totally feeling it and it's a night you don't have your full, full effort behind you. You got three days off, basically, until your next game. Floor it. Let's go. You got 40 more minutes. Keep the pedal to the metal and go. You but. just sounded so much like O-Dog when you said that sentence aloud. <laughs> you just sounded so much like Jeff O'Neill that I can't, uh, I, I'm going to fall over right now. Let's bring in James Myrtle of The Athletic right now for, for some reason because we're, we're dying for trades around the NHL, James, and, and nobody really knows how to do them because everybody's up against the cap. But you know how the Leafs could make something work. So... So just maybe give us a background on, on where the Leafs are at right now in terms of actual cap space and, and where maybe they can find a little bit more if they must. Hey, guys. Yeah, I mean, the reason that I wanted to write the piece last week was because it's kind of misleading if you just go to Cap Friendly or one of the other cap websites. It says basically the Leafs don't have any space and you right. know they're over the cap because they're in LTIR. And I was like, well, I wonder like how much they can actually create if they just are really aggressive in trying to create cap space. And you know, one of the key things to keep in mind is that when everyone's healthy, when Austin Matthews is back, when Matt Murray's back, they can demote all of the players that are there on the roster. They can they can take their roster right down to the minimum of, of 20 players. And they can actually even go under the 20-player minimum because if you're making a trade, you're bringing someone in that's going to be replacing that those players that are getting you to the 20 players. So, you know, a, a big piece of how they can free up cap space is just moving out some of the fringe for lack of a better term, the fringe bodies, like the fringe players that are like their extra skaters. When they came into the year, after they signed Callie Yarncroft in the offseason, the Leafs were so close to the cap that they were basically going to be down to a league minimum roster. Or if they got fully healthy, potentially they'd have to play games with fewer than the 20-player roster. So that's how tight they were coming into the season. Jake Muzzin gets hurt after four games, goes on LTIR, creates this extra cap space. And I think that, you know, if... If they're if the Leafs are really really aggressive, I think they can free up between four and five million in space. And with things like like salary retention, and you can even do a double retention like they did with Nick Foligno a couple of years ago. I think with those things in play, the Leafs can really be aggressive, and they can add two good players if they want. Like I, I don't think that the cap is going to be as limiting a factor as it's been made out to be in some other places. Interesting. So it, it, you believe they could add two? Like, if they wanted to add a top four defenseman and a top six winger, there's a path for that to happen? Yes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's you, they're going to have to be really a creative, and they might have to play with a you know a league minimum roster or play a game one player short, potentially, even if they get, get really, really tight. But, you know, the math you can do, you know, when they're in LTIR is, you know, if you do a, a half retention deal, you have to take on half the player's salary, so that eats up that percentage of the cap space. So... I mean, I, the illustration that I had in the in the story I wrote was Patrick Kane, and mostly it wasn't because I think the Leafs are going to get Patrick Kane. I don't think they are. It's just that his contract is so enormous at ten and a half million. It's like, can the Leafs actually fit this in? And if you run the math, you would have to do a double retention, which means you you trade the team that the Chicago would have to trade Patrick Kane to another team. They retain a piece of the contract. Chicago retains half the contract and then the Leafs only have to absorb 25% of Patrick Kane's contract. And at 25%, if I can do the math in my head, 2.625 million, that can fit. You know, if the Leafs can free up four to 5 million, you can fit in Patrick Kane's contract. And then you still have money left over to add a defenseman or add another forward or whatever you want to do. So, you know, and it was interesting to me that Kyle Dubas, when he spoke last week, talked about that their their desire would be to add a forward and a defenseman, and I think that that's really what they should try and do. 
So something else that he brought up though was, you know, is is unwillingness to go after rentals. So immediately mm-hmm. you kind of looked at guys like Ryan O'Reilly, Patrick Kane was a name, Gabrikov is a name. Like these guys have been linked to Toronto, and you know we've been talking about them for the last month or so about potentially, you know, going after those guys. But like, do you think that maybe? He that was a little lip service. Like, if the deal is there, is he willing to part with? Because to do this double retention for some of these guys, you're going to have to pay up for that, right? Like, do you get the sense that Dubis will be willing to pay up for that if that means that he could get two items as opposed to just one? Well, the interesting thing is that a lot of these guys, like Ryan O'Reilly's contract, if you look at it, it's almost all in signing bonuses. So almost all of his contract has already been paid out. There's only a million in salary left, so you're probably not going to have to pay that much for a double retention because there's just not a lot of money there that the team's going to have to absorb. So if you're involving a third team, they're only going to have to pay a quarter, which is how much of the season's left of the trade deadline. They're only going to have to pay a quarter of of the million dollars in salary that's left. So you're talking about, you know, maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars at most. So, you know, that's one thing that works in the Leafs' favor. But, you know, to answer your question, I, I think that, where the Leafs are, are are wary is they don't want to give up, you know, Matthew Nyes or their first round picks uh, for a rental. So that's that's one of the disqualifiers. But the thing that they could do is if it's a Gavrikov, like I think I think if you're trading for Gavrikov, you're talking to the agent. The Leafs have a really good relationship with his agent Dan Milstein. You're talking to the agent. And you're talking about what does an extension look like. And then all of a sudden it's not a rental, right? Like if if there's an extension there to be had with Ryan O'Reilly or with Gavrikov. Uh, you know, you can make the trade and you can't, you will feel more inclined to give up a good prospect or give up a first round pick because you know that you're going to be able to get the player signed and they're going to be on your roster for, for some time to come. So I think that that's probably where they're going to have to land if they're, if they're trading for a rental is they have to feel pretty good about that player staying. So which one of these uh, potential, potential deals, guys that would constitute as blockbusters is the most attractive and, and the most feasible to you from a Leafs perspective? Oh, I mean, attractive and feasible are different things. So, <laughs> That's so true. Like, I, like getting Timo attractive, Meyer but would, also feasible, maybe yeah. <laughs> is more I appropriate. Mean, getting Timo Meyer would be amazing. Like he's the best player that's available at this trade deadline, you know. And there have been there's been some rumors that potentially they could think about making that work. And you know, you could make the money work. It's just he's got a ten million dollar qualifying offer in the summer, and any kind of extension for him. I mean, minimum you'd be paying eight and a half, nine million for Timo Meyer. He's one of the best wingers in the league. Like he's just kind of hidden away in San Jose, but you know, he's big, he, he's physical, he, he scores. Like it would really turn. You know, that we've talked about the core four forwards for so long in Toronto. All of a sudden, they would have a core five, and there's something really appealing about that. But with him, you know, he's not even a UFA. He's not even a peer rental. So, you know, I, I don't know how feasible that is, though. I mean, the the real reality is is that there are other contending teams like New Jersey that also really want Timo Meyer and that are going to be really aggressive in getting the extension done the way the Islanders did with Bo Horvat. So, you know, are, are the Leafs willing to play in, in that space? And if they are, I mean, you know, the asking price is going to look like what the Islanders gave up to Bo, get Bo Horvat, which is really good prospect, first round pick and a roster player. And are, are the Leafs willing to go there? And are they willing to go there with a player that is going to be really hard to fit into their cap situation beyond this year? In conversation with James Myrtle of the athletic and talk about feasibility. I mean, James, how feasible is it for the Maple Leafs to have success with only having or taking them 46 games to get a power play goal from a defenseman. Yeah. I mean, you know, 
maybe I'll play devil's advocate a little bit. I mean, the power plays in the NHL in general have kind of moved away from the defenseman being the big shot from the point. So, um, you know, the Leafs, what they try and do in their power play is get the puck down low and get in close and have their best shooters take those shots from in close. You know, that's so they want the puck on the stick of Tavares and Nylander and, and Matthews as much as possible. And I, I mean, I think they would rather have a big shot threat from the point than not, but they don't have it. So they've constructed their power play in a way that that works without it. The thing that's a little bit concerning, though, is, you know, the Leafs have always been such a fantastic power play team you know they've been either first or second in most of the last couple of years over the last six seasons heading into this year they were second to only tampa in the power play um this year they're i mean a couple of days ago before they played columbus in those games they were down to seventh or eighth and now they're back up to fourth again after you know scoring on the power play on the weekend so I think you'd rather see them up closer to the top teams, up closer to, to Tampa and Edmonton. I mean, Edmonton's shooting at 31% on the power play right now. Toronto's down at 25%. I think there's room for improvement. But then you look at all the injuries that they've had. Austin Matthews out right now. Um, you know, I think what they really need to make sure is that the power play doesn't have an outage in the at the end of the season and into the playoffs the way that they've had some other years. Yeah, I just don't know how they avoid that. Because uh, we, we were talking about it earlier. We were talking about the potential of of Jacob Chikrin coming into the fold and maybe being a part of the power play. And then it was like, it's not in the Leafs nature on the power play to go to the point. Somebody texted us and said, the Leafs power play isn't designed for point shots. And and I totally understand that. But um, I think my question is like, if we know that, isn't it a problem? More and more what I've been seeing this year from the power play is, is they've been like cycling some of the forwards up up high around the blue yeah. line and then like the, you know like Matthews yeah. has scored some goals from up top and it's which has been a bit different I don't know I mean I think the power play has been okay this year it just hasn't felt like a a weapon that the teams just can't handle the way that it has in the past so but again I mean we're complaining about a team that's got 25 percent on the power play and you know so it's they've just set such a high, high bar for themselves I mean like honestly, we should probably be talking about the penalty kill more. The penalty yes. kill's down. I mean, they've been down. They're tied for fifteenth right now with with the Wild. Like, it's been much less effective, and that's more concerning, I think, than where the power plays are right now. Well, I, I've been talking about how if I'm looking to add something on the at the deadline, I would like to maybe add something that could someone who could help on the penalty kill. Whether that's a, a depth forward, like Nick Benino's a name who I've tossed out. If you do go out and you get a Gavrikov or one of these top four defensemen who could help on the penalty kill. Like I think that's almost something too. Like special teams, you look at it, those are often a, a big difference maker when it comes to the playoffs. And it has been for Toronto. Special teams haven't been great once you get to the postseason. I'm almost thinking like five on five numbers. Like you're pretty good there. Special teams has to be consideration too when you're looking to build out your roster for a long playoff run. You know what's interesting? Like, you look at the difference between, like, the Lightning have set the standard, really, in the Eastern Conference for the last, whatever, five or six years. And if you look at at their play over that time, the biggest difference, other than, I guess, goaltending with Vasilevsky, but the other biggest difference with the Lightning is their special teams have just been better than the Leafs, and especially in the playoffs. And you already know you're going to be playing the Lightning in the first round, right? Like, you know that your penalty kill is going to get mashed up against just such a dominant power play force that you know and one that took advantage of the Leafs when when it's certainly the games that were in Tampa in that series last year they were so good so that's what they need to start thinking about and it's why I think that while there's been a lot of debate over you know the Leafs need to add a forward they need to add a second line left winger they need to add more offense because they've been shut down you also got to worry about the other side of things and you know 
maybe he's not, not the sexiest name that's available at the deadline, but I think that the rumors about Jake McCabe from Chicago make a lot of sense. You know, he can yeah. play on the left side. He can play on the penalty kill. There's been talk about potentially Chicago wanting to re- being able to retain some of that contract. It's got two more years after it, and he's only making $4 million. So if you're getting Jake McCabe at 2 or $3 million for two more years beyond this year, you're in a situation where, you know, Justin Hall doesn't have a contract. It's going to be UFA. You're going to need another defenseman. You know, Jake Muzzin's likely not going to play again. His career's probably going to be over. You're going to need another defenseman in the offseason. Why not just add that piece you need in the offseason right now? And if you can get it with the retention, even better. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, with James Myrtle right now of The Athletic, and, and Pierre Lebrun had a good piece in The Athletic over the weekend. He he poked around to all the league executives asking about the Leafs and uh, where they think the Leafs are at in terms of in terms of winning around and, and doing well in the postseason and what they should do at the deadline. What stuck out to you from from that piece, and, and did anything one particular executive uh, say pique your interest? It seems like the Leafs are slowly getting more respect kind of for their defensive game. You know, that's that's been that's been a long time coming. Like I think they probably should have gotten that respect around the league a couple of years ago. They were so good in that bubble season against the, the Canadian division teams defensively, at least until the playoffs. Um so you can see kind of like the awareness of, of how the Leafs are built and their strengths and weaknesses getting better around the league. Um I don't. It's interesting, you know. Toronto's just one of those teams that you talk to people in front offices, and like they're they're always keeping an eye on the Leafs. Like they're just a team that, uh, you know, part of it's the market, but just they're just interesting right now for teams around the league. Like, are they going to do it? Aren't they going to do it? The fact that they're going to have to go through Tampa and Boston against this again this year, the fact that they're so heavily invested in analytics, they've got this young general manager, they've got you know a lot of their cap space all tied up in forwards and. There's just a lot of you hear as someone who, who's written about the Leafs for you know 14 or 15 years. I just get like text messages from executives with other teams that are like, oh, just want to talk about the Leafs. You know, they're just yeah. they're a talking point. And Pierce Peace did a nice job of going around the league and and kind of letting readers in on like some of the gossip that what other teams see on the team. Yeah, what, one of the executives did mention like maybe an upgrade at goalie, especially with the situation with Matt mm-hmm. Murray and the uncertainty of what he could be down the stretch. But we did hear last week Kyle Dubas came out and said that you know he was going to look to add to Ford and D, the exception probably not looking to add a goaltender. But would that be a mistake to at least not maybe check in on the goalie market and see if they could find a cheap upgrade somewhere? It's just it's hard to do everything, right? Like you got to prioritize. Like I don't think they're going to be able to add a defenseman and a forward and a goalie. So if you're looking to add a goaltender and it's someone that you know, is going to be on your roster and has a salary, then all of a sudden you, you're going to have to, you're going to have to give up one of your other wants or needs. Right. So I think that, I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't ever say I was comfortable with the goaltending, you know, Sam has been good. Really the only way I would get aggressive in trying to find a goalie is if Matt Murray gets shut down for the end till the end of the regular season. And then you've got a big chunk of cap space that you can deploy. And then I think maybe it makes sense, but if he's coming back, you kind of just got to cross your fingers, hope that he's healthy, hope that Samsonov continues to play well. And, I mean, it, it sure looks like the Leafs are going to be outmatched in goal no matter what. So yeah. that's definitely going to be a storyline going into the into the postseason for them for sure. Yeah, Vasilevsky, you don't love that matchup against 
against anybody. Uh, what was the buzz? AB and I have talked a lot about the home and home versus Columbus this weekend and, and whether that loss on Saturday and the way that they lost with Columbus coming all the way back was, I don't know, what, did you feel any sort of way particularly about it? Did it speak to the group's maturity to you? Was it just kind of a January come, or February rather coming off the All-Star break? What, what did you take away from that one on Saturday? You know what? My takeaway, someone sent me the stat. I think it was Jonas sent me the stat for the, the Leafs record against the bottom like this has been the year of the tank in the NHL, right? There's all these teams that like aren't even trying to win, and they've they've, yeah. I mean, they've got Chicago up a couple of times here coming up this week, so yeah. you know it's going to be another test for them. But if you Jonah sent me the stat, and I don't have it right in front of me, but it was something I like got the, it. The Leafs' record four, against the bottom seven is it's brutal. Yeah, four, four, and three against the bottom seven teams. Yeah, so they've lost seven of was that eleven? So they've lost seven of eleven games, and then do you have Boston's record? Boston's record against Ten the bottom teams is. It, yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, so it, maybe that was it. Jonas probably had that stat in his story today, and I didn't, and I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he like sent he sent me that like right after the game. I was like, yeah, well, and like in the point that Jonas made was that you know the Leafs are it feels like Boston is uncatchable this year with the year they're having, but they're really you know they're eleven points up on the Leafs. You know, if you win like three more of those games, all of a sudden they're still within striking distance and. You know, potentially you can make it interesting down the stretch. And if you keep losing to Arizona and Columbus, and who knows, we'll see with Chicago here this week, you keep losing those games, all of a sudden it's not interesting. And the thing, too, is you look at points percentage, Tampa's caught them. Tampa's ahead of them in points percentage right now. So they might not, Leafs are flirting with not having home ice in the first round right now. Yeah, well, that's where I I pulled from that stat. Like, I know he, he took those two teams and talked about maybe it's cost them the division, but it could cost them home ice. Like Tampa's, like you said, they've now overtaken them in terms of points percentage. They got a couple games in hand and only two points back. And I mean, the, the losses here to these teams could be the difference between hosting a game seven or having to play it on the road. And that's not favorable for Toronto. We know how that, what happens at Amelie arena. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you go back, uh, I've gone back and watched some of those games from the playoffs last year and and the lightning are just really, really formidable on home ice. So giving them another game there is going to, it's going to decrease the odds of the Leafs winning the series. It just is. So, you know, there has to be, I'm sure that Sheldon Keefe is getting in that dressing room and saying this, but they, they got a, they do have something to play for here and it's to try and get home ice in game seven. And while it didn't go in their favor last year, that was a very close game that could have, and they should, they should play for it and they should beat Chicago and Montreal this week to show that they can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Uh, appreciate it as always, uh, James. Hope we can chat again real soon. Thank you. All right. There he goes, James Myrtle of The Athletic. Yeah, like to me, honestly, I, I, I fully expect them to go 3-0 in these next three games against Chicago, Montreal, and Chicago. No, no, no. They have to. It's not they should. They have to go yeah. 3-0 in these games. They had one loss that they could afford to lose in this five-game stretch coming out of the playoffs, and they blew it on Saturday. They can't lose yeah. another one. Like no, they got to go pick up eight points out of these out of these five games out of the break like you got Tampa coming up on your heels got at this point got to keep ahead of them right cuz they're not going anywhere no and they've got to be the canadians they're they're uh, arch nemesis literally arch nemesis <laughs> there i don't even know what to call that matchup but it just has not gone well for them over the past couple of seasons few seasons no. of course they, back that, that game that game's here though right 
Yeah, it's yeah, here, it's Saturday here night. on a so, Saturday night. It's a lot of fun. And then they got back to back, so they're here Saturday, and then they got to go to Chicago for a six p.m. game yeah. Sunday. Less than twenty four hours. It's interesting, but but yeah. they must win. AB says, and I I agree with you honestly. That's crazy. They have one game in like a seven game span. Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. Like I know a lot it's a of times. Schedule here. this week. Lame schedule this week. I'm I. I believe the Canadians game, like, was that the, was the 17th the dead, like, the three-week timeline for Austin Matthews? Was that oh, the 17th? Like, I think maybe, you might be right on that. He might factor in here potentially uh, this weekend, maybe not, then next week, I think. We might be able to see him if, if things progress. Was he yeah. out there yesterday? I think he, was he out there? Yeah, I'm sure he was. I'm not sure. I, get I didn't to... see honestly. But <laughs> I didn't yeah, see either sure if he was, was up there. He was but... Yeah, I'm sure he was out there. They seem to have a lot of fun out there, by the way. Looked mm-hmm. like uh, a good time, a little outdoor outdoor uh, fun for the, for the boys. All right. Congratulations to Travis Foster, at Travis underscore Frosty on Instagram. You've scored a pair of tickets to the Leafs versus Blackhawks this Wednesday at Scotiabank Arena. Follow at TSN 1050 on Instagram for your chance to win free Leafs tickets all season long. On the other side, JT, we're going to see what was in the group chat. Oh, boy. Group chats were uh, buzzing this weekend. There was so much happening, oh, AB. So much going on. So we'll get into that on the other side. I'm Mike DiStefano with Julia Tashiri. You listen to Leafs Lunch here on TSN 1050. Now, back to Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. Whoa, 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 check this out. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? When it goes down. Are you texting? Oh, yeah. It goes down in the group chat. We have these big group texts. It's very late and my friend is a little unstable. We're talking action and overreaction. We sent 97 unanswered texts in a five-minute span. Leafs Lunch presents... My phone vibrated itself off the desk. What's in the group chat? This group is hotter than hot. Well, what is it in the group chat? I don't know. Let's let's pull back the layers here, AB. Um, we have been fired up for this segment because I feel like there's so much going on in the world in in the city of Toronto, in just the world, just, just everywhere, world. in sports, like a lot happening. So let, let's go through all of this, and and we'll start unpacking here. Um, Michael Bunting's antics are getting old quick. This is a take. In the group chat, uh, what do you make of it? Um, yeah, I'm gonna give it a thumbs up. I'm, I'm gonna give it a thumbs up. I think Michael Bunting, he's starting to build uh, a reputation you don't want as as a bit of a diver, as a bit of uh, an embellisher, and that's not helping him out. Like clearly, we've seen over the course of the last couple of months here. You know, calls that look like should be made and maybe were made at one point no longer are getting – he's not getting that call anymore. And we saw this happen against Columbus. We saw this happen last week against the Boston Bruins. And it's because he keeps challenging the officials and challenging, you know, their 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 game or, what like, their job, like what they're doing out there by just berating them time after time after time. Um, you know, he's a guy who's just taking – He's taken a lot of penalties. He's up to 28 penalties so far 
this season, which is up for 29, sorry, which is now tied for the NHL lead. And he's taken two in three, two in each game in three of the last five. Like the guy's just basically making himself a little home in the penalty box. And that's for a team that's pow- penalty kill has been struggling, as we were mentioning with James Myrtle. Not good. Not good. No, it's not great. Uh, I'd probably respond to this one. I don't think I'd like it or I'd like heart it or anything to that effect. Oh, you know what I might do? I might, uh, I don't know if I'd emphasize it. It would, it would, it would warrant a response. Um, because I think there's a point to be made too in Michael Bunting's defense. It does, it is getting to be a little bit much with the, with the selling of the calls and, and that sort of thing. But there's also maybe a point to be made about the fact, and I know William Nylander took a retaliation penalty this weekend, so we'll put some some respect on his name for the moment, I guess. But Michael Munding's kind of the only one out there who's playing that role for the Leafs, right? Like, nobody's stepping up behind him at all. So it, it does make it difficult, but now I... But you got to tell like, the line. Like, that's the problem. He, he's exactly. He's got to know where the line is, and he's, he's crossing it, right? Like, well, he's already crossed it to the point where, it, like, he can no longer really be super effective at that position because he's not getting... It, he doesn't play the position of agitator. But you know what I mean? Like, it's going to be hard to be effective because he's not going to get the benefit of the doubt from the refs now the, the way that he was last season. So it's going to require some work. It's probably going to require... I don't know, a little bit of grease in with the refs. Like, he's going to have to be friendly because that's a tough relationship to mend. Well, Once you have a reputation around league, it's very, very difficult to, to get that back on the rails. Well, Mark Masters actually pointed this out to me when we were watching the game on Saturday that it was the same official in the game against Columbus than it was in the game against Boston where he lost it on him after the no-call on the Brandon Carlo and the no-call on the Brad Marchand and he lost it, like just threw a little yeah. hissy fit. And the very next game that he has that same official, things didn't go his way. He didn't get some penalties called on him, and he had a little bit of a ticky-tacky call um, on himself. So it's that reputation he's making. Like the, the, the guys in the stripes are not people who you want to have on. Like you don't want to be on the bad side because this no. is what happens. So I think the antics are, are getting old. I think he's going to have to kind of sh- – Shut the app for a little bit. Like it's okay to beak and stuff during play, but I don't know. Not not to the officials. You, you can't get there and start squawking at officials. It's not going to go your way. Yeah, we just got a text. Bunting is turning into Condry. Goddamn, I hope so. Ab, that would be a special street. <laughs> be wow. turned into the way that Condry is now. Uh, but I know what they mean in terms of what started to happen with Condry towards the end mm-hmm. of his time in in Toronto. Okay, a weird one this morning. Uh, of all the strange things to to point out on this Monday morning when there's so many things to talk about, Sheldon Keefe should be fired. Has has found its way to a headline in a major Toronto publication. Uh, the, it's in the Star today. Maple Leafs to fire. Should fire Coach Sheldon Keefe. It's time for the Leafs to fire Coach Sheldon Keefe, rather, and bring in Bruce Boudreau. Bruce Boudreau, rather. Um, so maybe the take is, like, whoever thinks Keefe should be fired today should, like, see a doctor or something like that. I don't know. So, I don't know what the vibe the was thing. on this one. Full, full transparency. I, ha- I haven't read the piece yet. I will go in and look at it. I, I read it this made morning. Made aware yeah. of it. Okay, yeah. so what, what, what was the reasoning for this then uh it, it was mostly the brian hayes you need a major jolt with this team and and while they could do that at the deadline with a player it's uh it, uh, the 
author thinks that the, the best course of action in this particular case would be to bring in a guy who's really um, spent a lot of his career trying to make it as a full-time NHLer in Toronto, who's, who's from Toronto, who, who players really like. So that that was kind of the the long and short of it there, and and that Keith hasn't been able to, to spark something kind of in this group. I don't know. I I don't really subscribe to a lot of it, so I feel weird right. giving airtime right now. I feel well, weird no, but I'm just oxidizing curious. it. I- so. So I like I dislike I would dislike it in the group chat and I would probably say something rude back. It would be like a text that I got from. It would, I feel like it would be like a message that wouldn't even be in a group chat. Like I feel like it would be a message that someone random sends me on Instagram and it would go to my folder, like my request folder, and I would eventually yeah. delete it a month later when I see it. Like that's what I think yeah. of that take. Yeah, that like you don't even you don't even open that. Like honestly, I don't even have a group chat with someone that I think would say that on a Monday morning. I'm deleting. Off a I'm split deleting. Weekend. Yeah, deleting this person out of the chat. Like that's the person who you, you just you know you you finally let him come to come into the group chat and he spews off some nonsense like that. You're just like okay, this guy's out of here. Like I'm literally deleting this person from the group chat with a take like that. Like firing Sheldon Keith one is is dumb because he's been arguably like one of the best coaches in the league this year. I mean, he's been praised by players, former players, by by management as as a guy who's coaching his ass off and getting the best out of this team. And all of a sudden you want to ditch him for Bruce Boudreaux, who it did not go well when he was in Vancouver, known as being a structuralist hockey team. You want to bring that to Toronto? Yeah. You, want, you think that's going to help? No, so that's I, I, oh. it's it, it doesn't it the whole thing didn't really track with me, but it yeah. was a weird one this morning, and I'm sure it's in everyone's group chat, and everyone is having their own little yeah. giggle at it. Yeah. If the Oilers get Carlson, they are the best team in Canada. Uh, I'm probably not going to like this message because it doesn't bring me great joy to to say that, but <laughs> like I probably respond back something to the effect of no. No, it doesn't. No, no, I was, no bleep. <laughs> yeah, I think that it does. I think that it does probably make them <laughs> the best team in Canada. I don't think it does. I, you think it, I, it just doesn't? Yeah, def- I'm giving that a thumbs down to me. I, I don't think it makes them the best team. I still think Toronto is the best. Is it team because in Canada. you still don't like uh, what what Edmonton has defensively, and you don't think well, Jimmy I mean, or Carlson I, is? I just that? know. I, I just yes, in a way. Like I, this team already is all gas, no breaks. Like that's you're just you're adding to fuel to the fire of that with Eric Carlson. Not to say that he's a complete stooge in the defensive end, although he has been for many many years. But I just think that you're it's this is such a luxury ad for Edmonton. Like their their game plan already is to just outscore their opponents. We know once it gets into the playoffs and you're taking on good teams, that's not gonna fly. You gotta you gotta play a defensive sound hockey game. It's gonna be close scoring games, and ultimately, I, I don't know if adding Carlson, like, yes, it clearly gives them a massive punch offensively, but that goaltending, I'm still not sold on it. Defensively, Carlson doesn't give me Jacob Slavin vibes by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. So, I, I mean, yeah, sure, maybe he'll score a goal or two more, but ultimately, it's going to come down to goaltending and defense, and I think that Toronto is structured much better in that regard. And they've got those core four up top that are operating at a really high pace. 
Yeah, I, I'm just, I think I'm thinking of this more from like a how does, how do the Edmonton Oilers win games? And the Edmonton Oilers aren't going to outdo you. They're not going to have Jack Campbell or Stewie Skinner steal many games. Like they win games when Dreisaitl and Connor go crazy mm-hmm. and, and score and have one ankle and drag you to the, as deep in the playoffs as they possibly can. So I think I'm picturing more just like, yeah, they're going to need a bajillion goals to win if they're going to win because that's how they win. So, Carlson in, would kind of add to that. Is, until, is they, until they ran into a juggernaut like the Colorado Avalanche, right? And they yeah. learned how to shut those guys down and they ended up losing. Kind of. Like, just barely, yeah. It was, it, it, I, I think my thing, you're right. You're right. It's just more of <laughs> the way you. that. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. Uh, so, honestly, my group chats are mostly dominated by Don, John Tory, even though it was a crazy weekend in sports like i think that the john tory memes were flying around my group chat more than anything there and were, riri it was rihanna and john tory who were the stars in my group chat this weekend candidly there was there was far more like non-hockey related topics in the group chats this weekend whether it was super bowl related whether it was john tory resigning as the mayor of toronto the ufo sightings and more balloons being shot down and like it's just is insane to me what is going on in the world right now. Um, and, you know, there's this, this little game of hockey that continues to persist. But, yeah, to your point, there was so much non-hockiness and non-hockey stories that were being discussed this weekend. It's it's wild what's going on right now on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. so, like, on a weekend where we saw John Tory step down in the midst of a scandal, UFOs being shot down, that, that was something that didn't really land in my group chats, but I did see it floating around on Twitter. Crosby getting ejected from an NHL game for the first time in his career was the major WTF moment of the weekend. I don't understand how the fact that... Uh... Well, I'm, I'm giving this a thumbs down, first and foremost, because how does the fact that, like, we're now talking about UFOs here, okay? <laughs> Aliens have entered planet Earth, and we're going to sit here and say, yeah, but Crosby got ejected. Did you see that? There are aliens, okay? This is what should be discussed more. Not Crosby. I'm sorry. I know it doesn't happen often, but we're talking about aliens here, Julia. Yeah. I, I know, I know, I know. But but Sidney Crosby is kind of a hockey alien in his own regard. And, and he was kicked out of a hockey game this weekend for the first time ever. And he was so he was so confused by it because it was kind of a weird ejection in, in which he was oh, really he gone at the refs. Yeah, he got good. the old John at the refs ejected. Sidney Crosby, I can't believe it. So so I think that I would love this message. It was It was the weirdest... I think, thing to happen. Like, Toronto's mayor track record is not very good. Like, it's not overly good. At, at some point, the shoe was going to fall there on it. It would be not very good. But City Crosby getting ejected from a hockey game? Are you kidding me? I, I agree. I, I would love that. Crosby is, Crosby is not even... Like, that ejection, honestly, wasn't on my radar compared to all these other stories that, uh, that popped up into my group chats. That like, John Tory Friday night, when that John Tory story broke, like, that's, that was just a, a big shock. And then all of a sudden you got UFOs being shot down up in, in like, I, I don't understand what is going on right now in the world where some hockey stories just completely went by the, the wayside. It was insane what was going on. Even like Rihanna, like talking about her her performance was more of a story to me than, than I don't know, Crosby <laughs> just 
hurting an official's uh, feelings and getting ejected from a game. I, maybe I'm just sour because I think it was a soft ejection and I hate that it happened. Maybe yeah. that's what it is. Um, I don't know. What else bothered you this weekend? Did, did I have... I, I included my own on, on here. This? Purple Gatorade? I love Purple Gatorade, but I was not expecting it to be Purple Gatorade. Why? It's the best Gatorade color. Know. It's like purple and blue are the best Gato colors out there. So for those who don't know what we're talking about, the color, uh, if you were a betting person, uh, purple was the Gatorade shower that the Chiefs gave Andy Reid. It was purple Gatorade, and that's always a big bet that people like to make on the Super Bowl. A lot of people expect it to be red, right? The Kansas City Chiefs, red. So I think a lot of heavy bets came in on red if you were a Chiefs fan or if you were supporting the Chiefs. I was supporting the Eagles, so I thought maybe we'd see a lime green slash yellow color. But it turned out to be purple, and I think it was like plus 800. Yeah, so it like it was seriously shots. deep down the – because I went after and looked. I, I don't even think I saw purple when I placed the bet. I was just looking at the top five that were, were up there. And I yeah, it was a long shot. It. It, it was a long shot. you got to love those long shots. why sometimes you throw a dart at it and you hope it sticks, and it did. Like if yeah. you would have bet – if you would have placed a wager on Jalen Hurts to get three touchdowns last night – You'd have made out like a bandit. Seriously. Like, that was insane. I don't know if we had time to get into the Super Bowl or anything like that. But but there was a lot that was going on. What did you think of the performance, though? Like, that was another thing that was up in in, in group chats. Like, I thought it was good, but I had, like, I posted a, a joke. Like, there was a meme going on Twitter talking about how this person for should be the next mayor of Toronto. Like, so I got in on the fun. I was like, oh, Rihanna should be the next mayor of Toronto after her performance. And I got a lot of, like... Like a lot of people getting into my DMs or responses, being like, "What are you talking about? Did you watch the same?" I thought it was terrible. I'm like, "Really? I thought I it was great." I feel like that happens every year, though. Like last year, I thought that the Super Bowl performance last year was crazy good too. Like yeah, Eminem, that, and, and people hated that one. I'm like, okay, not everyone is going to be happy. Apparently, so we just can't no. we can't have nice things. I guess some people are going to be mad. I thought Rihanna was great. I thought it was really cool how they use the entirety of the the field as opposed to because I always find it kind of weird when they have the stage set up and then they've got that whole kind of like pit in front of the stage and they've got kind of a separate thing going on and and the people in the actual stadium probably don't really know what's going on with the performance aside from the video boards. Like right. I thought it was cool that she used the whole stage and was facing one way and then facing the other like she she was kind of engaging the whole stadium she was owning the whole stadium and then i kept expecting her to bring somebody out and i was like i, I don't know. know she's got her little like i i and then it, it got so deep into it i was like no it's so much more powerful she pulled out her little fenty blotting powder and she gave herself a little touch-up <laughs> she's got her little baby bump like it, it was a it was it was great i thought when run this town came on like like i was i was at a fan duel party so we all had money on like you know first song and what was going on we're trying to guess who's a celebrity who's going to come out with her and you know i was like run this town's going to come and jay-z's going to come out on jay-z was literally there he was like so right that's what i'm saying like it made no sense so then run this town comes on like okay this is it this is it and then it got to the part where he's supposed to jump in and it didn't happen i was like no and then it transitioned into umbrella i'm like okay here's another opportunity for jay-z to come in and then it didn't happen again i was like no so i do i do wish she did bring somebody out like although she did it herself and she rocked and she was fantastic does her fetus count as a guest performance 
Oh, that was a special guest that I don't think I a saw lot of a people great, expected. I saw a great, great, hilarious video last night of a, like a, a little baby dancing in dancing? the womb. And, and it was like know? Rihanna's baby tonight. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> like, was this so public watching, knowledge? No, no, it definitely was not. And I think I the think party so. that I was at, I, I just want to like shout out the people that I was with because we all were like really taking in Rihanna's performance and enjoying it. And like everyone's like... So is she, like, nobody wants to comment on a woman's body. It's 2023. If she wanted to enjoy her, I hadn't seen Rihanna in a while. Like, I have, she hasn't performed in public for a while. I'm like, I'm not going to make any assumptions about this lady's body. She's, like, touching her belly a little bit, though. But I, I, I don't know. I'm not really going to comment on this. None of us said anything to one another aloud. And then immediately after, I was like, oh, my God, guys, she is pregnant. And everyone was like. Oh my God, we were all thinking it, but none of us wanted to say it aloud at this party and be the, be the person to ask, is she pregnant while well, she's rocking it up there? But pretty incredible for, for her. And uh, that'll be a great story to tell one day. Like one day that little kid could say, I was on stage at the Super Bowl, kind of, yeah. in a weird I way. Performed. That's right. I performed at the Super Bowl in my mommy's belly. That would yes. be a great little story. <laughs> Seriously. Great little story. All right, JT, we got to go. Uh, one more lap around the track. You're, I'm Mike DiStefano with Julia Tashiri. Listen to Leafs Lunch here on TSN 1050. This is Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. Don't be shy, shy, Leafs Lunch is brought to you by Vanilla Visa prepaid cards available for purchase at Petro Canada, the perfect gift for any occasion. We're on Chicken Watch here in Toronto, RBAB, and uh, it's confirmed that he will remain a healthy scratch for, for the rest of this week. Uh, he was held off morning skate today, so Jacob Chicken will remain in the stands until he gets on a plane and goes somewhere else, which which I can't imagine what it feels like to be Jacob Chikrin right now. He's just been dying to be traded. Like, is anyone anticipating more than this, anticipating this more than, than Jacob Chikrin specifically? No. He asked for a trade, like, but, a year yeah. ago. Like he's, he's, he's wants out. They've said, okay, we're looking. They've now sat him out. It seemed as though something was close with L.A., over the weekend, and now it's like it's dragging out here. So I, who knows when he'll get dealt, but uh, it seems as though this will happen soon, like relatively soon. He's not going to yeah. play for the rest of the week, though. Like You'd have to think that's because of like asset protection, right? Asset yeah. management in a way. Um, really quickly before we go, I thought of a very, I saw a very concerning stat uh, that I just found oh, on Natural Stat Trick. And it, like Justin Hall... Um, He's been on the ice for 18 goals in his last 17 games. Wow. They could use an upgrade, honestly, at, at, at defense. Like, there's just I, – I, uh, that's that's all I'm saying. Whether it's Chikrin, whether it's Luke Shen, like, there's – they could use an upgrade on defense. I've, I've come to that conclusion now. Okay. A-B smoking, people. So, Kyle, get your phone out. The upgrade <laughs> on defense must come. And also, people of Toronto – Ensure that you are voting for Al's brother for mayor when when the polls eventually do come out. Because I've had a couple people tweet at me that Al's brother should run, run for mayor, and uh, I agree. So we'll start on that campaign tomorrow <laughs> at noon. I don't know how uh, how I would enjoy a career in politics, but uh, we'll see. You can, we can chat about it address tomorrow. the nation, address the city on a daily. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I will address the nation tomorrow at noon. Both you and I will be back tomorrow for that, JT. Excited for it. P.S. Happy birthday to Matt Sundin, 52 years old, to uh, our guy, Matt Sundin. If you missed any of today's show, you can find it on tsn1050.ca, the Art Radio app, or wherever you get your podcast. Gameplay with Matt Cos coming up next.